Welcome. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on your time zone. My name is Susanne van der A, and together with Miranda Nijenhuis, we are hosting this customer experience podcast for you. I combine a PhD in customer experience with 20 plus years of experience in CX transformation internationally, and my goal is to share my knowledge so we can enhance the quality of CX programs in as many organizations as possible across the globe. Yes, I know, it's a tiny dream, but come on, let's at least try to change the world together. Miranda has been my partner in crime for the last eight years, working together on many CX programs. In this series, she will be interviewing me on CX topics that are top of mind in most organizations we work with. talking about the sense and nonsense of MPS, right? Yes. Maybe nice to start with a little trip down memory lane. Yes. The history of the net promoter score. And although I tend to say, uh, yes, I did my PhD, but I'm not a science person. Mm -hmm. um, I do tend to uh, see value in understanding, okay, where did something come from? And especially with the net promoter score. Um, so it was created by Mr. Reichheld in 2003 mm -hmm. and the the idea behind it was there was a search of companies how can I uh, make it easier to measure loyalty because when you look from a scientific perspective the definition of loyalty consists of um, repurchase intentions do I want to buy again with this company yeah. uh, word of mouth which of course links to uh, NPS uh, price insensitivity, there's a lot of proof that if I'm more happy, then I'm also willing to pay more, and complaining behavior. So those four are the original definitions of loyalty from a scientific perspective, which of course then has three statements for each. So let's say it's a scale of 12 statements, so not super easy, right? And a lot of companies, of course, still want that wholly one question. So he was uh, inspired by an organization that used the question to ask Hey, would you recommend us? And that question um, appeared to be a very good predictor of profitability. So the original search of the MPS was to measure loyalty. Yeah. And then what that company did is that they followed up. So let's say if a customer scored low on willingness to recommend, they would send that email to an account manager and they would call them. Hey, Miranda, I see you gave us a five, six. Is there anything I can do to fix it? So that's the original feedback loop, right? Yeah. You measure it, uh, and that's also often called direct feedback. So remember two things. It was uh, originally measured to uh, prove loyalty and to be used as direct feedback on an individual basis. Uh, fast forward almost uh, 20 years later. <laughs> I was thinking 2003. Yeah. I think, oh, it's not that long ago. Oh, yeah. wow, 19 years. Yeah, gray hairs, gray exactly. hairs. <laughs> That's when you get all the right. Um, so two things happened. One is, of course, because the adoption of MPS is incredible. Right? Yeah. I think if anybody should study a marketing case, it should be the adoption of MPS. There's not a company in the world that's not using it right now. Right. So super case. 
Um, but two things happened. Of course, when you start using this in B2C with, I don't know, 100,000 customers, it's virtually impossible to follow up everybody individually. So I cannot fix if you have a personal low MPS. Um, that's one part. If I do, because some companies are using direct feedback, then I tend to use the calculation because a lot of companies feel, but hey, if we use MPS for direct feedback, of course, that was, this will enhance in the end our total MPS. But just humor me in this calculation. Let's say that we send a survey to 100% of our customers. Mm -hmm. Average response rate, 20%. Yeah, it's pretty good. So 20% of the customers response. Let's say 25% is unhappy. So that means 5% of your customers are unhappy. So if you would call all of those customers, you're only impacting 5% of your customer base with direct feedback. And that calculation is often missing, right? So you're only impacting the people that actually told you, I'm not super happy. Yeah. That's one part to be super aware of. The other part then organizations tell me, yes, but of course from the, the causes, right, of those people that we call, let's say, hey, it was, I don't know, the speed of the process. We can, of course, learn and then fix the whole journey. Uh, but then the risk is, again, in one of the other podcasts about drivers, mm -hmm. is that you get rational feedback. So customers will say it was about the speed or it was about something else, which is not that true latent need. Uh, so there's a double risk in uh, using MPS for direct feedback. Yeah. That's one part. On the loyalty part, of course, what happened in the last few years is that it's not, not directly uh, connected to measuring profitability, but they went a step back to see, okay, how can we find the root causes of MPS, right? So what can we do to enhance our net promoter score? Uh, and I'm just thinking maybe in case you, you haven't heard about the net promoter score, um, it's, a, it's a question, right? Would you recommend company X on a scale of zero to 10? Yeah. But then the calculation they do, and that's where one of the challenges comes in, is that the percentage of customers that give you nine or 10, um, sorry, the other way around, because <laughs> I'm using detraction. So the percentage giving you a zero to six is detracted from the percentage of customers that rate you nine and 10. Yeah. So the group, which is often the biggest group, from seven and eight is not part of this calculation. Yeah. So they started figuring out what's the methodology to find the drivers of MPS, the so-called root cause analysis. And that's often a mix of either I'm using a predefined uh, topics that customers can, can choose, or the one question in an open text and you're using uh, AI to analyze the open yeah. texts. So I give the, the uh, number zero to 10 and they ask me why, and that's it, right? Exactly, yeah. or indeed I give the number uh, zero to 10 and then they have often two levels of root cause. So they ask first, okay, what sort of level one? Hey, it was in the customer service uh, contact. And then a second level, was it the employee or something else? Yeah. But it's often two levels of root causes that they use. So the direct feedback we already discussed, right? It's challenging to then enhance the journey of thousands of customers. Um, but also when you look at the root cause technique, um, you're lacking sort of the statistical check if there's actually a cause and effect between the root causes you found mm -hmm. and your MPS score. Yeah. And again, the disclaimer, I think we had a disclaimer in one of the other podcasts, but <laughs> let me repeat it here. <laughs> if you are using MPS, you're measuring it 
you're doing your root cause analysis, you're improving, uh, and you see your MPS increase, I haven't said anything, right? I think that's the key that everybody yeah. wants to figure out. So if that's working for you, it's increasing fast enough, then just keep doing what you're doing. If you feel, so the one of the two main issues that I get from uh, companies is it's super volatile. Mm-hmm. Right? So one quarter I have plus 10, exactly yeah. the next quarter minus 30, and I have no way to explain it. Uh, and the calculation is one part of the explanation. And the second part is, okay, so we have these root causes, but they are so abstract because often the predefined uh, topics are, let's say, invoicing or are, um, I don't know, the network or something, right? So then you still don't know, okay, maybe this was mentioned a lot of times, but I still don't know what now do I need to improve. So that's why we're saying if you want to use MPS, well, ideally you would measure just once a year. Remember in the podcast about uh, setting the compass, we talked about the five types of experience. Yeah. So MPS for me is really positioned for brand experience. Once a year, sanity check, are we moving in the right direction? Yeah. But of course, many companies are using it to measure uh, the channels or touch points or the journeys. So if you want to have the drivers to enhance that one, then make sure you use smart statistics um, to really understand, okay, what are... Uh, what are the key topics that I can enhance to have the fastest way to increase MPS? Yeah, so instead of these root causes, you do this uh, smart statistics thing, right? Exactly. And yeah. uh, I think uh, we uh, talked about it in the last podcast, so you can see uh, the podcast of the uh, driver analysis. Yeah. Uh, but maybe you can uh, elaborate a little bit more about this. Yeah, so when we say smart statistics, uh, we have two things, right? One is how do you build a survey? Uh, and the second part, okay, which statistics do you use? So when, when we say uh, on the survey side, we, we build it really based on the journey. So we do a journey workshop to understand what steps do the customers go through. And using the steps, so the transactional side, plus the emotion, those elements together we use to build a survey, which is pretty long, 30, 40 statements, not one question and an open text. Mm-hmm. And then we send it to customers who have recently experienced that journey. So that's, let's say, on how do you create a list of possible root causes, right? That's yeah. all the steps in the journey and their emotion. And on the smart statistics side, so as soon as 100 or more customers have filled out that survey, then you can run these statistics. And it's three techniques. Um, and you can forget about these techniques and let somebody do that for you, but then you know which ones to use. It's factor analysis. So factor analysis groups those 30, 40 questions where the customers say, hey, question number one, five, 11, and 12, they belong together. And then you scan and you say, hey, this is all related to personal attention. Uh, apparently their latent subconscious need is personal attention. Yeah, right. Right. That's how you find these subconscious drivers. Yeah. So that's what factor analysis does. Then the regression analysis tells you, okay, but factor A is five times more impactful than factor C, for example. So this is what really puts you in the driving seat yeah. and gives you super clear, we just mentioned that laser focus. If I'm just constantly thinking about this number one driver and I do this in all my interactions, then I have the fastest way to increase the MPS. So that's why we say when we say smart statistics, that you really, you just can prove uh, with the data, improving this is five times more impactful than improving something else. Yeah. Did we cover everything? I think so. Yes? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Do you want to say anything more about the MPS? 
No, I think the key is, um, I think with MPS, it's interesting, right? That a lot of, let's say, CX uh, experts uh, are feeling hmm, the MPS is maybe not the best metrics, uh, metric. You have satisfaction, you have customer effort score. But you see still in almost all the boards, it's still sort of the key, uh, the one holy metric. Yeah, it's really adopted. It's really adopted. So I think um, maybe 10 years from now, we'll have a different metric, but I think that's <laughs> too soon. So I think the advice is if indeed you you uh, you cannot convince the board to measure it once a year and you really need it to be in the driving seat, then that's fine. But then make sure that you adapt your root causes so you really are in the driving seat of enhancing the FPS. Yes. Having heard about the sense and nonsense of the net promoter score, we now continue with the sense and nonsense of the customer effort score. Start with the history, but let's start. Ah! If you haven't, if you're listening to this podcast, by the way, what I'm putting in front of the screen is the book. So the authors of the book are Matthew Dixon, Nick Thoman, and Rick Delisi. And the book is called The Effortless Experience. So in case you want to not just trust my judgment, but read about it yourself, uh, that's the book where it came from. And uh, they launched this book in 2013. So when you look at the history of, let's say, the three key metrics in experience, uh, that's satisfaction, the net promoter score and cost effort score. Yeah. So I tend to sort of make it a bit black and white by saying, okay, we had satisfaction that worked relatively well until at one point the satisfaction sort of stabilized at this 7.5. And instead of companies thinking, hmm, maybe I'm not improving the right things, right? They thought, hmm, it would be nice to have a different metric. <laughs> So in 2003, Reichelt introduced the Net Promoter Score, and that really took off. Yeah. And then in 2013, they introduced the Customer Effort Score. And honestly, because a lot of companies were struggling with the Net Promoter Score, so also at that time, in the company I was working for, we really felt, hey, this would be super cool, right? We have a beautiful alternative for the Net Promoter Score. Because before I read the book, there was a Harvard Business Review article published. Mm that had proven that the customer effort score was a much better predictor for loyalty, but then loyalty was defined as, let's say, repeat purchase. Yeah. It was a much better predictor uh, than uh, the net promoter score and satisfaction. So we thought, hey, super cool. And of course, the whole idea of ease of doing things makes absolute sense. Yeah. So there were a lot of things where we felt, hey, this would be maybe the new holy metric. But... Being stubborn as we are, <laughs> we felt okay. You know, it's just half a business review. <laughs> Let's <laughs> you do know, it ourselves. Come on, <laughs> we can test it ourselves. So we used the data from the contact center and we we reproduced the model. And in our analysis, we saw that customer effort score was the least predictive of the three, and that the MPS and the satisfaction almost had the same prediction in relation with loyalty. So there I said, hmm, okay, maybe not a huge fan, but the idea of ease is still super valuable. And we felt, hey, it's not a, an end metric, but ease of doing things should be a predictor of satisfaction. So we always use ease in the service we make for call center, for example. And indeed you see that it is, uh, it is part of driving satisfaction, but it's not the number one. Yeah, exactly. So yes, it matters. But it's not the holy, at least based on our data, right? That's just our opinion uh, that we didn't see the uh, and see the ultimate effect on loyalty. Yeah. Right? It's super valuable for the call center setting to use it, 
They also have amazing examples where they just uh, A-B tested purely the way the employee was explaining something and the difference in cost per effort score was extreme. So I would definitely, if you are in the contact center business, I would definitely advise you to read it because you have super cool ideas that you can start doing tomorrow. It's just more that the connection to loyalty, um, I'm less convinced about that. Yeah, exactly. So um, um, how is it intent to be used and how is it be used uh, at this moment? So in their book, what they, they intended to use it as, let's say, the ultimate end metric predicting loyalty. Yeah. Um, in the, let's say, in the customer service setting. So they've measured web and, and call interactions. Yeah. And then did a survey uh, on that group of people. And what I see now with organizations using it, they are sometimes using it in a call center setting, um, but also more and more in a, let's say, UX user experience setting. Uh, so for example, I'm using an app. How easy is it to use the app? How easy is it to do something online? Sounds like a plan, right? That last one definitely sounds like a plan. So also in the podcast about the five types of experience, right? User experience being the fifth one. Um, I also position customer experience, uh, sorry, <laughs> the customer effort score as the key metric for UX. Yeah. Because um, you have two, um, two advantages. Because also in one of the previous podcasts about finding the drivers, we said that you have to be very careful with analyzing open answers. But a customer effort score, it's so transactional, so concrete, that there it's absolutely fine to ask, okay, what's one thing that we can do to make it easier next time? Um, so there it's absolutely fine to use open, the one question with the open text. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just triggered now because I'm saying ease. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I also had a discussion uh, a few weeks ago with, a, with an organization because the original customer effort score is all about um, how much effort did it take. Yeah. That's sort of the negative side, right? So it took a lot of effort. Yeah. But part of this book as well is that at the end of the book, they introduce already uh, version 2.0. Mm-hmm. Where they discovered the, the, the framing of the amount of effort is too complex also for customers to fill it out. Mm-hmm. So they re, uh, rephrase it as ease. Okay. So then the definition, for example, becomes XXX made it easy for me to do something. Yeah. The app made it easy for me to, um, I don't know, uh, order a new product. The website made it easy for me to do X. And then the same scale. Right, so from uh, uh, completely disagree to completely agree, uh, and I think that's indeed is the the more pragmatic translation than the uh, how much effort did it take you to yeah. do something. Yeah. So I think on the UX side, it's super valuable. On the customer service side, as I mentioned, we just added it as a as part of the survey, but then using the statistics to see how big is the impact of ease on satisfaction. Yeah, exactly. And if it's a bigger impact, then you know. Exactly. And what we've seen so far is that, let's say, the number one driver for satisfaction with uh, customer service is the employee. Mm -hmm. Listening well, answering the question. I think if I remember correctly, that was an impact of roughly, let's say, 0.5. While then ease had an impact of 0.2. Yeah. Just to give you an idea about the ratio between the impact of ease and the, the employee or the human side. Yeah. All right. 
uh, other ways that we can use the customer effort score? Um, um, I'm just thinking now, yes, other ways, but I'm also um, reminded of one of the key um, statements that they are making mm-hmm. is how customer effort drives loyalty. Yeah. And I think there are two flaws in their thinking. Yeah. So one flaw is that, so, so they say in the book that they don't find uh, hardly any relationship between satisfaction and loyalty. Mm-hmm. But they are checking the satisfaction with service and loyalty um, defined as repeat purchase. Satisfaction is so much more than that, right? Yeah, and loyalty as well. Yeah. Right, so uh, if I'm thinking about am I going to buy something again at Amazon, it's not just my satisfaction with the call center that defines that. Right, so for me, that analysis, for me, makes sense that there's not a super uh, hard relation between service satisfaction and loyalty. Yeah. That's one part where I think it's flawed. And the other part is that uh, from the scientific perspective on loyalty mm-hmm. and satisfaction, um, the satisfaction and loyalty, they don't have, they do have a direct impact, but that's pretty low. Mm-hmm. But you have trust and commitment as so-called mediators. So from a scientific perspective, you, you use the model and it's become a bit technical, but you have satisfaction influences trust, trust influences commitment. And then commitment influences loyalty. Ah. So then if you add all the indirect effects plus the direct effect of satisfaction, then satisfaction for sure still drives loyalty. Yeah. But not just satisfaction, right? It's from an eight or more. Yeah. That's where you get the lever of a need uh, seeing impact on the uh, repeat purchases. Just had to make this scientific point uh, <laughs> very clear. Yeah, very well, very well. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, the last question, can we use it uh, for anything more or should we use it for this UX design? Yeah, I think in, in my experience, I would definitely use it for UX and then with the open answers. Yeah. So just super concrete. If you use the five point scale and let's say people rate you one or ten, uh, one or two, you have the, uh, let's say dynamic second question. Hey, you know, that's, uh, I'm sorry that it's so low. Is there one thing we can do to improve it? So also not too abstract, you know, what could we have done? Or just call one thing. Yeah. Um, if it's a, if it's five, hey, that's amazing. We're happy. What was the thing that made it so easy for you? Right. So make your follow-up question dependent on the score that the people give you. Yeah. And then you can use your text analysis to see, okay, what's the thing that we should improve to make it more easy. And we talk about this more in the next podcast, uh, right? About the five experiences and... Uh... Yeah, and depending on, of course, when you're listening to this podcast, yeah. <laughs> it's either the next podcast or you had already heard this. Exactly. <laughs> so it's in another podcast. It's in one of the other podcasts. And also uh, one of the next podcasts that we'll be doing is, so we've done the sense and nonsense of NPS. This is the sense and nonsense of the customer effort score. Yeah. And we'll be making also the sense and nonsense of satisfaction. Yeah. We have a lot of ideas for next <laughs> podcast. So <laughs> stay put. Enough coming your way. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. And uh, having all heard of this, we're really curious about your one key insight and the action that you're taking from this podcast. So let us know and hope to see you next time. Ciao. See you next time. Bye-bye.